Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome. We are going to open our Bibles and see if we can learn from God's Word things that apply to our life. We've been studying um, a book of the Bible together for four weeks. This will be the fifth week, and it's a book in the Old Testament. Some of you, I think, are brand new to the Bible, perhaps, and you've maybe tried to read it, and you started at page one, and it got interesting, and then it got really confusing really fast. Did that happen to anyone? You're like, what is going on in this book? And if you don't know, the, the Bible, you know, this book right here, this little book is actually a library of 66 books, some of them pretty short little pamphlets. And um, if you open it up at the table of contents or you look in the middle, you'll see the words Old Testament and New Testament. Have you seen that kind of halfway through? Is anyone hearing me? You're with, and you're like... Wonder what the word testament means, <laughs> right? And and what are all these books and what is going on? There's and it's, there's every kind of literature in there. There's poetry, there's um, narrative like history. There's these books that are called prophecy that will say the word of the Lord came to Malachi, and then he says these kind of poetic sounding um, stories that are God speaking to a group of people, you discover it's all about Jewish people. And some people had no idea what's going on with all this. And it turns out that the, the Old Testament, the first part, is um, what was written, and we believe, by the inspiration of God himself to tell the story of God in the lives of humans, people, all over the world in his plan to redeem this world from a really big mess which you've probably caught on, our world's often in a really big mess, right? And there's the story of God interacting with people. And so that whole first section called the Old Testament is the story of God choosing a particular person named Abraham out of whom a nation is born, the nation of Israel. And God called them and said, I'm going to make you a nation. I want to use you to bring blessing to the entire planet. I'm going to, through you, Bring redemption, bring healing to the entire planet. So in the Old Testament, you see all these stories. Well, we're reading a book called Nehemiah, and it actually is the last story, the last history of the Old Testament, the time, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus. So if you didn't know that, when you read Nehemiah, that's the end of the story. And, well, it's actually the end of the story of the Old Testament. And you'll notice if you read it, that it leaves you hanging. Did you, have you ever seen a series of movies where, well, those of you that are old like me, do you remember when you watched The Empire Strikes Back? And do you remember like, oh no, because the empire struck back, right? Uh, Han Solo's in carbonite. <laughs> you know, like what's going on here? There's, there must be more to this story, and you're hoping that the Jedi will return, right? And you get to the return of the Jedi. Well, this, the Old Testament is like that. And when we get to the end of Nehemiah, it's like Han Solo and Carbonite. 
It's like it doesn't end on a super high note. We've been talking about all this good stuff, and we've been learning about how this man named Nehemiah is called by God to help rebuild Jerusalem's walls. How many have been with me these last weeks? And how many haven't? So you have no idea what I'm talking about. No hands raised on that? Yeah, some, okay, I see some. Okay, so I, I got to connect you because you don't want to just hear a guy blah, 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 boring talk, right? Because what we're reading about has application to our lives. So here's the short version. God calls his people called Israel, makes a covenant relationship with them. They are at one point in slavery in Egypt. God does a miracle to bring them out of slavery. The Ten Commandments movie is made to talk about that. Many of you have seen those stories and you've heard um, these people, million or so, come out of slavery. God conquers this nation that's the superpower called Egypt. They've been enslaving the Jewish people, the people of Israel. They're just a big family of about a million people at this point, but they're going to become a nation. God miraculously brings them out with, under the leadership of a man named Moses. He brings them to a place, a mountain, where they're going to be led in worship, and he makes a covenant with them and writes on stone tablets the agreement of, the, of how they will worship and especially how they should treat each other, how they should care for the poor amongst them, how they should be sexually pure, how adultery is not okay, how they shouldn't steal from each other, how they should welcome those that are aliens and strangers in their nation because they were once alien and strangers and they should care for the poor. Uh, they should be honest. There's all these agreements. They should worship a certain way. They should definitely not join in the idolatry of the pagan nations around them because those guys were doing all sorts of bad things up to the point of taking their own children and sacrificing them to idols, if you can imagine. So God said, don't do that. So here's the agreement. I'm going to bless you. You're going to bless the nations. Here's all the, the, the regulations of this covenant, and if you'll follow these, you'll be blessed. And what immediately happens is before the ink is dry on the stone tablets, <laughs> they break, they act the fool, brother. That's right. They break one after another of the covenant. Remember this story? It happens again and again. Sounds like my life and your life, doesn't it? And by the time we get to Nehemiah, God has brought judgment on his people. He's told them through various prophets, people of God who hear the voice of God and proclaim it to the people, he's told them, what's going to happen to you is you're going to be dragged away in exile to another nation, not Egypt this time, but the nation of Babylon. In fact, he even names the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to drag you away, and it's going to be bad. But God gives his promise. But I love you. And after 70 years, I'm going to come and bring you back, which never happened, by the way. He even prophesies to his prophets, a day is coming when there'll be another kingdom that's going to wipe out Babylon, because ah, they need judgment too. The, Persian Medi the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come in. Their new king. 150 years before it happens, God names the king. He's going to be named Cyrus. He's going to issue a decree that you're going to come back and you're going to rebuild the temple and you're going to start worshiping me again. And then there's all these promises about a, a renewed age when all this great stuff's going to happen and Israel's going to be a happy nation and there's going to be singing and dancing and they're going to have vineyards and their farming's going to be great. Everything's going to be great again, he promises. And, and he makes this one particular promise. Well, he says, after 70 years, it's going to happen. 
And he makes one particular promise, and he says this, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. It's not going to be like that old covenant that was written on stone. This one is going to be different. I'm going to write my instructions on your very heart. I'm going to move you so that you'll want to follow my ways. I'm going to wipe out all the sins and wickedness that you've been doing all these years. I'm going to wipe it away. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. So there's all this promise, right? And start, part of it starts to happen. There is a king named Cyrus. He is from Persia. Persia does conquer Babylon. And it's just amazing stories that you read in the, in the Old Testament, right? And, and all this interaction of God with the people. Um, they do build the temple, and then it brings us to what we're reading, this book of Nehemiah, the last historical book of the Old Testament. Are you with me? This would be a good movie, wouldn't it? So Nehemiah is a Jewish guy in Persia, but he's never lived in Israel because he was one of the children of the exile. He's born there. He's never been to Jerusalem. And he gets a job in the king's palace as the cupbearer to the king. So he's super tight with the king. And then one day, he hears a story from a friend, a relative that's been in Jerusalem. He says, hey, dude, what's happening in Jerusalem? The guy goes, it's really bad. Our people are living in disgrace. Things are terrible there. The walls are broken down. There's no city walls. The gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah begins to weep. And this is where we started talking five weeks ago. He begins to weep and he begins to pray for his people. And something happens to him. He gets a burden for this group of people that are so in bad shape. And in his prayer time, in his seeking God, he begins to get a vision of a better future for that city. And he begins to get the idea that those walls should be rebuilt and he's going to rebuild them. Crazy. And after four weeks of seeking God and praying, he gets a mission from God. So you just heard like an outline of a sermon there. You get a burden from God for a need that God wants to build and fill and fix. And from that, he might give you a vision. A vision is just a picture of a better tomorrow. And he gets a picture of a better tomorrow for the people. And then out of that, God calls him into a specific mission. Mission is the plan for accomplishing the vision. So that all happens. We've been studying this story for the last four weeks. So Nehemiah does go. The king blesses him with favor from God. And he says, not only can you build the walls, I'm going to pay for it. And Persia sends the money, sends the gold, sends the timber for building the walls and for restoring temple worship. It's just looking good. It looks like the prophecies are being fulfilled. And it turns out it's around 70 years. In fact, it's exactly 70 years when a little bit before Nehemiah, they rebuild the temple. So Nehemiah goes. He gathers the people. He spreads the vision. They agree. They start working together. They start building the walls of the city. And we saw all sorts of principles for us that if you would like to hear them again or learn, just go to gracetalks.org and you can listen to a podcast of them, gracetalks.org. Anyway, four weeks of principles for our lives for when God's building. And we called this whole series, Taking Your Place When It's Time to Build. The idea for our lives is there are times in your life when you were called to help in God's process of rebuilding brokenness in your life and other people's lives. And God will give you a burden, he'll give you a vision, he'll give you a calling, or he'll join you to someone else, like all the people of Israel that joined Nehemiah. And, and you need to work together, we learned. And we learned the value of seeing each other and encouraging each other. We learned the fact that there would be opposition. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah, two bad dudes that show up? They're going to show up at the end of this book now. 
Sanballat and Tobiah are two particular characters that are not from Israel, and they keep fighting and mocking and ridiculing and making fun of and stirring up trouble and deceiving and just, just a mess. And we learned about how there will be opposition when we are joining God's building project. So that's all going on. We get to the end of Nehemiah, and it turns out that they do just like the children of Israel did under Moses' leadership. And they start the act of fool. And you're like, oh, what's going on? And what we discover is the whole prophecies have not yet been completed. Clearly, the new covenant promise, I'll make a new covenant with you, I'll put my spirit in you, I'll write my law in your hearts, I'll change you, hasn't happened. That's what we're up to today, and I'm going to try to bring that together for some application in our life and your life in particular. I have a feeling that some of you are here today because you want to get right with God. And we're going to talk about how God has made that available to you where he makes it so easy for us to get right with him and have relationship with him and have our lives restored. Are you in? Okay, so I'm going to give you a visual right now. Okay, and this may help in understanding what's happening here in this story and what has happened in our lives. So the first picture is an inflatable bounce house. Is that on the screens? Doesn't that look fun? Are the kids, have you ever been in one of those? And you jump and the kids are having fun and, you're ha and actually you adults get in there, right? And you want to show them how you can do flips. You've done that, huh? haven't you, Carlos? Yeah, he's like, yeah, I know. Well, if you have never paid attention, we've done bounce houses here in the parking lot. There are lots of fun. If you've never paid attention, though, a bounce house like this is connected to an air pump that is pumping the entire time. And the moment that that pump turns off, this happens to the bounce house. I, I put this picture before you because it's, it's not a perfect picture, but it might help us think of what happens in our lives. See, the bounce house inflated is a picture of everything we talked about when we talked about grace and the law of Moses. Remember what we said? The purpose of the law of Moses was to show us our need for a savior because under the law, we have the religion of self-effort. And you can pump things up, but it always falls flat. And any project that you've ever been into to build, if you do it in your strength and not the strength of God, it will eventually go. Um, you've, if you've tried to be a good person, you'll get going for a while. You might hear a good self-help talk, read a book, hear an inspirational speaker, and you do good for a while. But what happens? You, just like the people of Israel, right? So keep those pictures in your mind while I do like a fast cover of um, what we've read in the last, I'm going to do like the last six chapters of Nehemiah from 7 to 13 in an overview and apply it to our lives. Are you ready? Okay, so I told you about how Nehemiah got this burden. He got a vision, got launched into mission, gathered with the people. Shannon took us through chapters four through six last week. Um, 
together and building together in battle. We saw what needs to happen. Those were all good principles. And they're all true principles to everything we've been talking about. But all of it works only, lasts only, if what we do is empowered by, led by, inspired by God himself, his living presence through his Holy Spirit. Interestingly, the word spirit means wind, and we need the air pump on the, on the bounce house to keep blowing the wind or it falls flat. This, is this image working for you at all? Is it kind of making sense? Okay. And it's related to this promise of a new covenant. Well, so here's where we ended at um, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. We read this last week. It's a very hopeful beginning. Things are looking good like they have many times in the Old Testament history. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. I'm not sure if I said that right. I don't speak Hebrew, but that was my attempt. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Now there's a revitalized national life happening. Nehemiah begins to say, okay, we're going to populate the city. We're going to set up leadership. We're going to have a sustained, wonderful life. So chapter, one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were, important, were appointed. So the gatekeepers are going to watch over the gates to keep the bad guys out and let the good guys in, like you need in a city. The Levites are the people that work in God's temple to make worship happen, to make Serving God happened. It's all part of the work of being a people of God. The singers are very important. They are leading constant worship. Worship is so key. Worship in song, like we just did, was very much a part of the life of Israel before they were exiled, and now they're getting it going again. So there's all these people established. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. So we've got a new governor, and we've got a new secretary of homeland security, because he was a man of integrity. So these are godly men, feared God more than most do. It's, it's looking good. And then by the end of chapter 7, they're returning to the word of God. Chapter 7 goes into chapter 8, and there's this sense of national revival. Here's what it says. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, along with certain of the people, and the rest of the Israelites settle in their towns. They're, they're getting this new life going. It's looking good. When the seventh month came, and note that seventh month, if you learn about Jewish calendars in history, you'll know that the seventh month is really important. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They took Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. In other words, the first five books of the Bible, the, one, the covenant of God, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Again, Nehemiah emphasizes in his, in his um, memoirs here, it's the first day of the seventh month, the priest brought the law before the scriptures, before the assembly, which is made up of women and men and all who were able to understand. Now, here's what's important. Seventh month is the month when they fart the first day with the Jewish feast of trumpets. Some of you have heard of that. A trumpet is blown, and it's a call to national repentance. On the tenth day the seventh month is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, celebrated to this day, when there's a sacrifice made for the nation, and the high priest goes into the most holy place 
in the temple of God. There's lots of interesting things that I won't go into. Just to remind those of you that know a little bit about this, it's the Day of Atonement's coming in 10 days where we're reading. On the um, 15th day of this seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jewish people were called and commanded by God to go and make booths in their courtyards, booths like um, sort of like tent structures, a canopy made of palm fronds, and they were to live in them for seven days and eat in them and celebrate because they wanted to remember that for 40 years they wandered through the wilderness. So it's a historical event, a worshipful event. They're in the promised land, so they're going to do that on the 15th day. Verse 3, he read it aloud from, you ready for this? This guy's a long preacher. From daybreak till noon. Lord have mercy, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and others who could understand and all who listened attentively to the book. And then I'm jumping down to verse 14. So this is a fast overview of these, these chapters. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites to live were in booths during the feast of the seventh month, like I told you. So now they're going to institute or reinstitute the rhythm of the feasts of God as part of their worship and their national identity. So, verse 16, the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and by the gate of Ephraim. You can see this still happening by this, by the way, if you go to Israel during this season. This still is done, this practice. The whole company that returned from the exile built booths and lived in them. Listen to this, from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. There was an assembly... So it feels like we are headed toward revival. It's like the bounce house has been inflated. The kids are jumping. It's a good time, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, verse, verse 1 of chapter 9. Now they're going to get into confessing sins and worshiping God. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. They'd been weeping as they heard the word of God and saw that the word of God said, you've sinned. Remember, we, we said the law of God shows us that we're sinners and that we need a savior. We need something. We need help. And they see that, and they're repenting. They're saying, oh, God, we didn't even realize how bad we've been and our fathers, and that's why we've been in exile. So those of, they're fasting and weeping, wearing sackcloth. Verse 2 of chapter 9, those of Israel, like descent, had separated themselves from all the foreigners. Remember, I said one of their problems was they, they married the pagan, idolatrous-worshipping nations around in some cases, and then they were drawn away into idol worship, sacrificing their children to the gods of, of the um, pantheon and that region. And it, bad things happened. That was what brought destruction to their nation. They stood and confessed, so now they're separating themselves from the foreigners. Their sins and wickedness of their fathers, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law, their Lord, their God, a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession, and in worshiping the Lord their God. Does that, I mean, it sounds like things are going well. At the end of chapter 9, they say, you know what? Let's make a commitment to God. Let's put it in writing. We're going to make a new covenant. And maybe they're thinking this is the new covenant. I don't know. But in view of all this, we're making a binding agreement, they said. Putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests, fixing their seals to it. Down to verse 29 of chapter 10. All these now join with their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God. We're going to follow you this time, given through Moses, the servant of God, and obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. This should remind you, if you've read the Bible, 
of what it was like when the law of Moses was given the first time. Remember what they said? Yes, we'll do everything God says to do. But sadly, in a few years, it all falls flat. It all deflates. And that's what you read if you read chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. And it's kind of depressing. You think, why is this in the Bible? This doesn't sound like good news. What's going on? Um, here's, here's what happened, just kind of <laughs> brief highlights of what happened. So they read in the law of God that no Ammonite or Moabite was supposed to be in the assembly of God because they were bad neighboring nations. Um, and do you remember Tobiah? We said his name at the beginning. He was an Ammonite. So they're not allowed in the assembly of God. Well, it turns out that the high priest himself was in cahoots with Tobiah the Ammonite. And he had taken one of the rooms of the temple, the very room where all the tithes and offerings were to be stored for the Levites and the priests and the singers. He'd taken that room and given it to Tobiah the Ammonite. He's not only in the assembly, he's got his own room, and the high priest has given it to him. (laughs) You're like, really? You know, they said, we're not going to intermarry with the other nations. Well, it turns out that many of them went back to doing that. And in fact, the high priest's son is the son-in-law of Sanballat, that bad guy we've been reading about. You're like, what is going on with these people? So they break, they'd promised to bring their tithes and offerings into the temple so that the worship could go on, so the Levites could do their job, so the priests could do their job, so the singers could do their job of worship as a people of God. They said, we're going to do it. We put it in writing. We're going to bring the tithes and offerings. But they didn't. And now the Levites didn't have the resource to do their job in the temple, so they're going out, going back to farming, getting other jobs. Temple worship's down. Singers are not doing their job. They'd promised to follow the Sabbath. They put it in writing. God, we're going to obey you. We're going to obey the law of Moses. They were breaking the Sabbath. They were working on the Sabbath, God's holy day. They were buying and selling on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah, this great leader, he, he had gone back to Babylon for a little bit to do some work in, in Persia, back you know, in the court. Now he comes back and discovers all that had happened. And he loses his mind. He's like, what? So he gets violent, and he starts beating up some of the people. And it's recorded, if you read the end of Nehemiah, some of these guys, I took them, and I am like took them behind the barn, and I'm like beating them, and others, I'm pulling their hair out. And you're like, what just happened to this great story? Want to know? Why did the empire strike back? You know, where's the promise of renewed covenant? made new by God himself. Where's the promise of all these prophecies? Restored Israel. Rejoicing. Do you remember that we read the purpose of the law was to show us our need for a Savior? Because all the law can do is show us that we're sinful and it has no power to change our hearts. Remember that when we were talking about grace? Your religious efforts, you're trying to get right with God by being a good person, has no power. All that will happen is you'll realize, I need a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Jesus, remember on the day he was crucified, walking with those two, those two guys, Cleopas, and I forgot the other person's name. Yell it out if you know it. 
We don't know that. But be a person, and, and they're like going, oh, this is terrible. Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. And now some women, of all things, women, because they didn't trust women. We've learned you can trust women now, right? They didn't trust women, though. And they're like, this woman said that he was raised from the dead. We don't know what's going on. And Jesus is walking next to them. And they can't recognize him. He's hidden his face. And he says, oh, you foolish and slow of heart. Did you not know that the Messiah had to be crucified and raised from the dead? And from the law of Moses, going through the entire scriptures, he showed how all of it pointed to him. And the story of Nehemiah is just like all those other stories. It shows us we need the end of the story. We need the sequel. We need the Messiah to show up. We need God to change things. We need God himself to become man and wash away our sins and take them away. We need a new covenant. And you're set up waiting and longing for the promise. Paul, the apostle, wrote about this, about his own life before Christ, before he knew Christ, before he knew Jesus, and the life of Israel, really, when you hear these words. Listen to these words. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anyone can relate to that? For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? The next verse, he answers it and says, this is a letter he wrote to the church at Rome. Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus, Messiah, our Lord. Promise is fulfilled in Jesus. In, um, I, I told you there was a promise of a new covenant. I'm going to read it to you now. It's written in Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 31. It's referred to again in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Here, the author, to Hebrews, that's the Jewish people, to the Jewish people that are believing in Messiah Jesus, he writes, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and here's the prophecy from Jeremiah. You with me, by the way? Am I giving you too much information? You you tracking? Because what I'm about to read to you is the gospel, the good news, that can change anyone's life. It's the answer to Paul's question, who's going to deliver me from this wretched state? The time is coming, declares the Lord. This is the prophet Jeremiah. As the people are getting ready to go into exile, he's saying, you know what? Judgment is coming, but I'm going to bring you back. And after I bring you back, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The time is coming, he declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And we found it was meant for the entire world, not just the Jewish people. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Remember the story I started with, the Ten Commandments. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my instructions, my laws, my Torah in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they even need people to teach each other. They will say, know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. That last sentence was written before the final 70 A.D. destruction of the temple. 
And that's when it was completely done. No more. No more sacrifice. No more anything. Only the new covenant. The one written in our laws, in our hearts by God. So Jesus shows up. And the new age has begun. Jesus shows up in the opening um, words of our New Testament stories. And he says, here's Mark 1.14. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. The time is now. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near you. Repent. Turn away from your old ways and believe the good news. On the night, Jesus is betrayed right before he's crucified. He's going to go to the cross the next day. Jesus is having a meal, the Last Supper. And these are the words we'll say when we have communion together. He took the bread and broke it and gave thanks, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, and he says, listen to these words. Maybe they've never clicked in your mind. This cup is Jeremiah's prophecies, and it's now fulfilled. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The next day, Jesus, the Lamb of God, God himself, taken on human skin and bone and flesh, lives a perfect life in fulfillment of every prophecy for Israel and the whole world, goes to his death willingly on a cross and stretches out his arms and pours out his lifeblood. And he said, I'm going to do this for you because in doing this, my sacrifice will fulfill what Jeremiah prophesied long ago. I will wash away your wickedness and sin. I will forgive it, and I will remember it no more. And if you'll put your faith in me, not only will your sins be washed away, but I will give you a new heart, fulfilling the prophecies that they'd been waiting for in Nehemiah's time, but never quite made it because they needed Messiah, Jesus, to come. And the, the time is ripe, the atmosphere is ripe in Jesus' age that we are still living in. So Jesus says, I'm giving my life. I pour out my lifeblood. It's the new covenant in my own blood. I'm the sacrifice. And then he rises from the dead and conquers Satan, conquers sin, conquers hell, conquers the grave, defeats the evil one, and says, now if you believe in what I've done for you, I will write my on your very heart and I will put my spirit within you I will move you to follow my ways I'll change everything and Paul's question is answered who will deliver me from this wretched state thank God through Jesus Christ I'm delivered and so now God bless you <laughs> so now we can take the principles we've been learning these last four weeks and not fear that the air is going to come out of the inflatable and it's going to fall flat because we have put our trust in Jesus. He has given us new life. We're no longer living under law. We're no longer in the religion of self-effort. We are living in grace and God does it all. He comes near to us and makes a way for us to live successfully, joyfully in his plan so that we can do what we've been talking about. When it's time to build, take your place because now you have the new covenant. Now you're not like the people of old. 
You have a new covenant with God. And when you get a burden and a vision and a mission and fulfill it, you have the power of the Holy Spirit present in you like that air pump in that inflatable we were looking at. And you will stay joyfully like those kids jumping in the bounce house. Are you getting it? See how this all works? I, I titled this talk, We Must Build with Jesus. If you've been trying to rebuild your life, been trying to get sober, trying to learn how to have a good relationship with somebody, trying to learn how to be a good parent, trying to live a life with some morality in it, trying to be a good person who cares for the poor, who's loving and kind, who fulfills God's instructions that says, here's what God wants of you. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. If you want to do that, you can do it. Because you've put your faith in Jesus. He's washed away your sins. He's writing his instructions on your hearts. He's giving you his spirit to live in you, to guide you, and to empower you to live for him. So all those failures, they might have been self-effort. Your call today is to invite Jesus into your life, to receive the gift, to be in the new covenant, and to live with him and for him in power <coughs> with rebuilt walls in your life and helping rebuild the walls of others' lives. You get it? I want to invite you that are here who may not have, uh, as of yet, ever actually given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. He is the author of this new covenant. He's the one who wipes out my sin, who changes me so that I am a different kind of person who now wants to follow his ways literally changing my heart, puts his spirit in me. If you are in this place, it's not enough to agree that, yeah, I think that's true about God, that's true about Jesus. That's not enough. You need to make it your own. Today, if you've never, in, you've never received the gift, picture at Christmas someone offers you a gift, it's a wrapped present, They've done everything to bless you. You have to unwrap the gift and say, I'll take it. Jesus is standing before some of us today saying, I've done everything. Will you receive me? If you will, I'll forgive your sins. I'll end that story of constant failure. I'll renew you. I'll give you my spirit. I'll set you on a new path and you'll never be the same I will build the walls of your life and I will invite you to help me build the walls of other people's lives. Is that a great offer? But you've got to receive the gift. If you want to receive that gift, you want to enter into new life, the new covenant, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now and I want to invite you to pray it with me. You might want to just 
close your eyes and not be distracted by what's going on around. Say something like this. Dear God, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died to take away my sins. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over sin. And now I receive your gift in my life, a gift of a new covenant where you write your desires on my heart. I receive that gift. I turn from my old ways and I choose to follow you. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, wash away all my sins. Jesus, put your spirit within me that I may live with you. Thank you, Lord. New life. Amen. That's a prayer that God answers. And if you're here and you prayed that, I, I want to ask you to do a follow-up with me. I want to pray for you. I want to help you in your new life, walking with God. And I thought I'd use your phone to help me do it. If you today are giving your life to Jesus, would you pull out your phone right now and text the word commit? Text the word commit to the number that might be on the screen. There it is. 760-237-4393. Just text the word commit. I will look for that and I will text back with you and we'll start talking. I'll pray for you. And I'll help you get on your way walking in this new company, this new family, this new life. Sound good? All right. Amen. So cool. Lord, we thank you for new life. We thank you for people today that are giving their life to Jesus. We pray your blessing on everyone. We pray your joy on everyone. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We thank you for new life. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for these stories written in your word for us to learn from and anticipate Jesus coming. We thank you for Jesus. We worship you today. And now, Lord, we're going to remember the way you said to. You gave us a meal. If you could pull out this little package... So what happened, if, if you didn't know, you probably have seen this. You've heard of the Eucharist or communion. Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed to be crucified, in his timing, had a meal with his closest friends. He broke bread and said, this is, this is a symbol of my body that's about to be broken for you. Eat this and keep eating this over the years for all of time, remembering that Jesus, the Son of God, God made human, let his body be broken so we could be healed. And he took that piece of bread, broke it, and they ate it. And then he took a cup of wine, and he said, this is an, a symbol. This wine, it's red, so it's a really good symbol for this, is my blood in the new covenant for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. So if you open the very top of this little package, there's a, this little wafer thing that is 
to remind us of the bread they ate that night in their Passover celebration. And if, if you're Catholic, you've, you've done wafers, you know how this works. Uh, some of us haven't been to Catholic Church, but we know a little bit about this. We're going to take this symbol of bread, and we're going to eat it, and remember what Jesus did. It's, it's kind of a four-dimensional <laughs> experience. We're going to taste and experience and say, this is, remind me, the, the um, body of Jesus broken for me. And the worship band, you could start making your way up here because we'll end with some worship. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken. Let's eat this together. Let healing come to us, Lord. Body, soul, and spirit. And then open the little cup. There's some grape juice in there. And we remember the words of Jesus. This wine is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together in worship of a God who became man and shed his lifeblood so that we could have life. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Mm -hmm. So good. Let's stand together. Some of you may have experienced already in this gathering something that's, that felt like something was happening that was kind of mystically supernatural. You felt a presence. That is the presence of God who's very real. And he comes, and especially when the people are gathered together like this, he comes with his tangible presence sometimes. He speaks words of comfort. He brings sometimes healing to our broken bodies. He brings healing to our broken souls and spirits. He brings life. He, I saw some of you were wiping away tears earlier today because you experienced these, this beautiful presence of God. He's here, and I want to acknowledge him. Lord, we recognize that you're here. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have at us. Have your way with us. Let your spirit come in power upon the people gathered here. Let your spirit come to minister life and healing, wholeness. Um, people that, are, that pray for folks on Sunday mornings, could you make your way to the sides? If you're here and you think, man, I want to take this a little farther, we would love to bless prayer, to encourage you. If you have sickness in your body, very, very often, God brings power to heal what was broken in your body disease and sickness and pains. So we want to jump into that, join him and ask him to bring healing. Brokenness in relationship, you're, you have a broken heart in any, of the, in any way that you can think of. You need a touch from God. Something happens when we come together and we begin to pray for each other. So you see on the sides here, come down and, and just ask him to pray for you. And we'll be blessed. So now as we close with the worship band, they're going to lead us in a song. Let me say this, the Lord himself bless you and keep you, and make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you rest in your souls and your lives. God loves you. He invites you into relationship with him, a new covenant. God bless you today. It's been great seeing you.
We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.